Hello everyone, my name is Shelby Johnson and welcome or welcome back to my podcast, An Engineer's Journey. I'm super excited for the episode today, so definitely stick around. Hello everyone, today is a special day because a new episode of An Engineer's Journey has dropped and thank you so much for running to Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you're listening and choosing to listen and support my podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. Now, today is a special episode. I'll be interviewing Kyle, who is a graduate student in my department here at MIT in the chemical engineering department. And she has a lot of really amazing things to say. She talks about her journey from Spelman to Caltech to MIT um, and has a lot of advice. So we'll get into her bio in a bit and then I'll have her come on and share with you. But first, since I'm already coming up on almost halfway through my first semester of graduate school, I wanted to share a little bit update about how that has been going. So it's been actually surprisingly great. I am really enjoying getting to know the other students in my cohort, getting to know some of the people in the department. Um, I really like Cambridge as a city. Fall has been absolutely beautiful, although winter is coming and I think that is going to be quite a struggle Um, but I really like the city so far I've been meeting other young adults in the area I've gotten to go hiking in the Blue Hills I went to the beach at one point Um, so yeah I'm just kind of getting to know my new city for the next five years and also working on choosing a lab to work in for the next five years or so and then also the classes, they they are very, very difficult, but I'll admit, I don't think they're quite as bad as I expected, which is really nice. We also have a lot of help because there's TAs for each of the classes, so they've made it a much better experience than I guess it, it would be otherwise. So I'm really appreciative of how the program has been going so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it continues to go. So yeah, I think I'll do an episode at the end of the semester updating on my semester as a whole, But for now, let's go ahead and get into Kyle's interview. Kyle is a fourth year PhD student in the chemical engineering department at MIT. She is a researcher in Dr. Prather's lab focused on synthetic biology. She attended Spelman University and HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia, where she got a degree in chemistry, as well as Caltech in Pasadena, California, where she got her degree in chemical engineering. I'm so excited to hear all about her journey and the advice she has to share. So please welcome Kyle to the podcast. Hi, Kyle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Shelby. Of course, of course. Well, we can go ahead and jump right in. So the first question I wanted to hear you answer is what led you to major in chemistry and then now engineering? I feel like most science nerds and engineers like have always had like an intrinsic passion for like science and building things and knowing more about the world around me. And in high school, uh, I was like required to take a bunch of science classes and I was fortunate enough to have like a really great science teacher. Her name was Emily Keeler. She was my chemistry teacher. So I was like, oh, I like her. So let's see what chemistry is all about. So that's kind of how I got into chemistry. And I continued to like it so much so that I majored in chemistry in college. 
Nice. And yeah, you went to Spelman, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that experience was at such a historic university? Oh, uh, anyone who asked me about Spelman, like, like nothing but positive things. I loved the experience so, so much. Uh, met a lot of influential people there also. So I decided to go to Spelman because like I, I'm from like a very small town in the South, a uh, population of black people, very small. So I wanted to, you know, go and experience all Spelman had to offer as a historically black college for women. And it was just cool to like be around people who looked like me and like just, I was able to do science without like all the other uh, distractions of the external world. Uh, I think I met a lot of my like lifelong friends at Spelman and people think that because Spelman like is this art school that their science is not strong, but like I learned some of the best science I've learned in my academic career at Spelman and the best teachers that I had in college were from Spelman. So I had an amazing time there. Yeah, that's very great to hear. As you know, I went to Georgia Tech, so I was nearby. But obviously, you know, you can't have the HBCU experience if you don't go to an HBCU. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that you were able to have that, you know, very positive experience. Um, yes, yeah, so I've heard that when sometimes transferring from science to engineering can be a very like difficult transition. I know even for me, transferring just from high school to engineering was a difficult transition. So what advice do you have for students who want to major in engineering, but feel incapable or like they can't do it, or maybe that it's too hard? Before giving any advice, I like, um, as I've like went from science to engineering, I've like recognized that like one strength scientists usually have over engineers. And that's like a better, like basic fundamental understanding of like the science and like so I like always hold that with you know me as I like went from science to engineering and because I feel like I had like a really strong understanding of the basic science it like made me more empowered to kind of tackle the engineering uh, and when you're actually like delving into the engineering side make sure you like get a strong group of like people to do work with don't be afraid to ask questions because other people are just as confused as you. So ask questions, do your work with other people. And yeah. Yeah, that is so true. Even now, like starting grad school with the core classes, for those who don't know, actually, I think I'll say it at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm at home with COVID right now. And it's been so much harder this week doing homework where I'm like all by myself versus in the first year office and we're all working together and going to office hours. So uh, yes, definitely work with people. It helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And like for every question you don't know, someone else also doesn't know that question. And for mm -hmm. every question you know, someone else doesn't know that question and you can help them in, in turn. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So between undergrad and the PhD, you took a work break, right? Yeah, uh, I call yeah, I call it my gap year. It was a work break. And then I also got a master's. Mm. Uh, so I'm like extremely passionate about like, science of course but also how like science can be used to like have positive impact on like our society and uh that make that's the reason like why I want to go into the like, government policy and actually pursued a master's in energy policy um it took like a I guess a year and a half gap in between undergrad and my PhD yeah and I uh got my master's like I said in energy policy from Carnegie Mellon University and they're really unique in the fact that they have like an entire like engineering and public policy department. And hmm. you don't really see those two things come together. So. Wow. That's actually really cool. I did not know that. And so then did you work in policy at the time or was it an engineering role or both? Ah, okay. So 
that master's was funded through the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, which is like a mm. government lab in Golden, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so they funded it. And then I also worked there during the summer uh, doing mostly like science and engineering research. But you're actually, you're obviously working in like a government lab. So you like mm -hmm. constantly get to see how like government influences the types of science that are done. So. Okay, gotcha. How did you like that experience? I've heard a lot of like people going to like the government labs. Was that for you? Or do you like more like academia side or industry? Because I know you did some internships as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess in Rel, um, first of all, it's in like a very beautiful city, Golden, Colorado. I was mm -hmm. only ever there in the summers. So I had nothing but like just sunny weather, um, <laughs> lots of like outdoors things to do. I'm from a very flat place and like Colorado is full of mountains. So that was cool to see. Mm -hmm. So it's like definitely a town for like young people. And then on the science side, um, I feel like government labs are like a happy middle between academia and industry. Mm -hmm. You kind of, you, yeah, it's, it's definitely a happy medium. Um, there's obviously like not classes going on around you. So, but it's also like not quite working in industry, like I was saying. So mm -hmm. I, re I really like that happy medium. Gotcha. And then can you tell us a little bit about how to get those kind of, whether it's an internship or fellowships, how do you typically find those out as an engineering student? Mm. I think a lot of people ask me that. And so I guess there are two types of people who ask me that, like some who like don't quite know what they want to do yet. And then some who really know what they want to do. And for the people who really know what they want to do uh, or who don't know what they want to do, my best advice is to like, try, like try everything. I feel like, um, via email via our professors a lot of like opportunities are kind of just thrown at us and like I think it's important to try a little bit of everything to like see what you actually want to do and to the people who actually who know what they want to do um, who have like professors in mind whose research they like or they really want to work for a company uh, send that cold email you know I guess meet that person in person I think that's like really valuable and for me, how I ended up um, with some of my, I guess, internship and research opportunities really was from like applying to summer research programs or like sending a thoughtful email to the PIs whose work I was interested in. And that's how I've gotten most of my opportunities. Okay, perfect. That's good to know. And I'm sure that's very helpful for the listeners. Um, okay, so we can transition now to like your PhD life and journey. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what a PhD is like from the perspective of an Anthea graduate student? Um, many of the listeners might not know anybody who's done a PhD or might not know what it's like specifically for engineering. So just kind of sharing what that process and journey looks like would be great. Uh, so I think uh, a PhD is a very different experience depending on what school you go to, uh, what year you're in, and also even what lab you're in within um, your institution. And so speaking from my experience as like a chemical engineering PhD student in the Prather lab at MIT, um, my first year, um, as you're experiencing now, was like mostly just classes. You want to make sure you understand like the core tenets of whatever field you're trying to get a PhD in. And that's what that first year is for in chemical engineering at MIT. And then after the first year, I, I kind of front loaded my classes. So I took most of my classes my first year and then the, the first semester of my second year. So after the middle of my second year, I was done with actual coursework. And I really got to focus on my research, which is what I came here to do. And it's, it's what I think most people come here to do. 
And what's beautiful about the PhD, especially when you're just doing research is there's a lot of flexibility, like in hours and how you get your work done. At a typical job, you may have to like, you know, come in at eight, take a lunch break at 1230 and then leave at five. Um, you're really held to no such standards at a PhD. You, you have to work a lot, but you can get the work done in whatever hours like you see fit. Uh, for example, I'm a morning person, so I get to work every day at 7 a.m., have a coffee, have breakfast. I go into the lab and check on my experiments from the previous day. Um, I have lunch around noon. I also really enjoy working out. So right after lunch, I go to the gym. And because like there's a lot of flexibility in this PhD, like I'm able to just go to the gym in the middle of the day. And then I'll usually come back um, after the gym, continue doing some experiments and usually uh, make it home by about 5.30 or 6 p.m. So yeah, most of my day is uh, in the lab experiments, writing papers. And then I also have an undergraduate student who I mentor and she comes in the lab every day and helps me with some stuff also. Wow, thank you. That was a great little comprehensive explanation of what your journey has been like. Um, so what have been your favorite and least favorite parts of the PhD so far? So I'll start with the least favorite. And I think this might really pertain to you and like where you're at right now in your journey, Shelby. And the least favorite is the first year. Um, I'm passionate about research that doesn't exactly align with like traditional engineering and like what's taught in like a traditional uh, engineering course load. And so because when I was in my first year, I didn't feel like a lot of what I was learning aligned with what I wanted to do research wise. I didn't feel really engaged, but like I knew I had to learn it. And so that's what I did. And so I think that was like my least favorite part of the journey was like going through those classes. And as you're, I guess, finding out there, they're tough, you know? like different beasts than undergrad. Uh, you're expected to know a lot more, be a lot more self-sufficient than you were. And then probably the best part, um, the best part. So we are like given a thesis that like we must like bring to completion. And I think like most PhD students, I spent the first year, year and a half of my thesis with like no data, not even sure if it would work. So just like the first little piece of data that like kind of hinted that what I was doing might work, like it was a breakthrough. I was like, I don't have to leave. I can like stay here. I can like be Dr. Bannister one day. So the first piece of data that was like actually good and reproducible, um, like can't, can't replicate that feeling. It was great. Yeah, I can imagine. That's so exciting. Can't wait for me to get over all those humps to get to that point, honestly. Um, but that takes us to the next question, actually. So you're doing research in synthetic biology, right? Yes. So can you explain to us what that is broadly and then maybe some of the things that you've specifically worked on during your time at MIT and in, in the Prather lab? Yeah. So like the, the one sentence synopsis I always give people of my research is that I engineer bacteria to make chemicals that are uh, that make our lives easier and that are industrially relevant. Um, and you mentioned that I work in synthetic biology. And so it's exactly what it says it is like we're doing biology, biology synthetically. And more specifically, like in my PhD, the overall aim is to engineer um, a bacterium called E. coli to produce chemicals that can be upgraded into sustainable plastics. And that's a huge thing obviously right now because climate change is on the forefront of everybody's mind. 
and like getting slightly into the science of it, but trying not to get too much of the science of it because I know everyone's not a biologist. Uh, basically what I do, um, I give E. coli, uh, I guess every living thing has metabolic pathways and those metabolic pathways um, like happen because of things called enzymes. And so I give E. coli the enzymes necessary to carry out the pathways that lead to the chemicals I wanna make. Um, hope hope that makes sense. It's, it's a lot for people who don't do biology, but I hope that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely something if you're interested in to look more into, it is very interesting, but met metabolics can be very, very complicated. I don't know, it's not even close to enough, even though I worked in a synth bio lab before. So um, yeah, but I do want to ask though, so someone might be thinking E. coli, like when we're younger, you always think about E. coli and getting sick. Mm -hmm. So with you working it in the lab, how does that work? Okay. So there are like several what are called chassis organisms. So like organisms that are very like easy to work with. You can easily manipulate their DNA. And because it's easily, it's easy to manipulate E. coli's DNA, you can also engineer it so, so that it's like not pathogenic so that it can't spread disease. And so uh, the lab strains we call that we work with are non-pathogenic, um, you can't spread diseases. And then I think it's also important to point out that like E. coli lives in the you know uh, digestive system in all of us, healthy and otherwise. So like uh, a fairly tame organism compared to some other ones. Yeah, so just confirming we are not spreading disease throughout the <laughs> MIT community. These are relatively safe creatures. Um, cool. Okay, and then before you committed to MIT, I know you were accepted into other PhD programs. What advice do you have for preparing for the grad school application process? Because this will be coming out in October, and so there will be people I know working on their applications at the time. Yeah, I think for me, so there's... um most people I feel like are used to like applying to like undergraduate programs. And when you're in that application process, like you're, you're more intent on, you know, how good is the school um, and where is it at? Whereas in uh, graduate school, uh, the, the biggest thing to be concerned about is, is the research that I want to do at that school. And so that was one of the first questions that I asked myself was, are they doing the things that I'm excited about doing in my PhD? And so I searched around for schools like that. And then once I had, you know, maybe a list of 10 or 15 schools like that, then I asked myself, you know, how good, how good of a school is it? And then also, are there multiple labs in that university that I would be interested in pursuing? So yeah, I think the very first thing I did in preparing myself for my application was to identify like schools that I would apply to. Great. And then once you did figure out the schools you were accepted to, how did you narrow down to the ones that you felt, or the one, MIT, obviously, that you felt was best for you to attend? So um, I think there are like two, I guess, I guess, types of people who enter, I guess, a PhD program, people who like know what lab they want to be on and people who don't. And I like went in like knowing very specifically that I wanted to work for a couple of like principal investigators in my field. And I knew that because I did similar research in undergrad and I had been hearing their names for a long time. And I knew I was super interested in working in the labs of a few people. Um, and then I went, I ultimately settled on MIT specifically because uh, my advisor, um, Chris Prather works here and I really, really wanted to be in her lab. And like I said, I did research like this in undergrad. 
And then of course I was like thinking pragmatically, um, if I didn't get into Chris's lab, I also knew that there were other labs here that I would be equally okay with being in. And I think that's important. And then also, you know, some like non-science reasons. Um, I wanted to stay on the East Coast. I'm from Florida and I wanted to just be closer to family. And so that was like definitely a reason. I wanted to be by water. Uh, Cambridge is by water, so yeah. Yeah, I can confirm that the water is a major plus. <laughs> Come, oh, well, and I forgot you were in Atlanta too. Coming yeah. from Atlanta where there's a city with no water, it's just such a nice thing to like look outside and see pretty water all the time. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. And then you kind of mentioned it just now actually, but what were some of the experiences you had in undergrad that helped to prepare you for the PhD? Okay, so I had a really unique undergraduate experience. As you talked about earlier, I, I began my journey at Spelman, and Spelman is a liberal arts college, meaning it doesn't offer engineering at all. And in lieu of offering engineering, they offer what's called a 3-2 program, where you spend three years at Spelman, and you get a science degree, and you graduate, and then you transfer to an engineering school and get your engineering degree. And so after three years at Spelman, I transferred to Caltech, which is in Pasadena, and I think it was that trans transition from Spelman to Caltech, which really prepared me for the PhD. Um, like we were talking about earlier, I had to transition from like science coursework to engineering coursework. And the rigor was different. So I had to like, I had that jump in rigor. Um, it was a different environment, which people don't like talk about, but like, it's also something you have to like navigate when you go to grad school. So like I, I navigated changing environments and yeah, just like being, especially at MIT, uh, Caltech is also really tech school. So like I really got acquainted with like the tech school culture and environment. So doing that transition, which was like painfully difficult, really prepared me for like the transition um, to PhD in MIT. I'm glad you actually brought that up. I feel like schools like MIT and maybe Caltech as well sometimes get a bad rap um, for being like a school where like only smart people can go and it's like you know everyone's know-it-alls etc has that been your experience here and what would you say to people who that might be discouraging them from applying even though they might actually thrive here mm. I guess the first thing that I would say is like um you know, everyone has a space everywhere. And if you think that you can go to MIT, like you definitely can come here or any other school, like don't let culture rob you of like a potentially valuable experience. And as far as like the, you know, I guess bad rap they get is like maybe toxic and competitive environments. I think that exists anywhere you go. Um, and I think it's important that once you get to environments like this to like find a community that supports you and makes it not feel toxic to you. And so it's, it's really important to come in to, you know, meet a few friends in your first year cohort or otherwise to connect with organizations on campus that cater to like, your identity. And that's what really helped me. And then also like lean into your hobbies. I mentioned earlier that I go to the gym. So like be something outside of the, I guess, grad school experience also, because you need that, you need work-life balance. And I think those are some of the things that like make existing in MIT easier and uh, yeah you just gotta find and make your space here yeah definitely and I will say I've only been here for a couple of weeks but how people have responded to me being out right now has been a pleasant surprise um, so can't complain at least not yet <laughs> <laughs> um, okay only a couple more questions so 
First, have you had any mentors over the years that have helped you get to where you are now? And how did you establish that relationship? Ah, uh, yes. I'm like, it's it's funny, but I'm always doing this. Like I keep a running list of people I want to make sure to mention in the acknowledgement section of my thesis. So like, I'm kind of prepared for this question. <laughs> the first one I talked about earlier um, was, like I said, Miss Emily Keeler. She was my high school science teacher from ninth to 12th grade. I had her every single year. Um, one of the first people who like really told me like, Kyle, you're like super smart. And like, she like really pushed me to be in like, um, international science fairs. And that's like how I got acquainted with like doing research. So definitely, um, Miss Emily Keeler. And then at Spelman, um, Dr. Dr. Lisa Hibbard, uh, she's been at Spelman for at least 20 years, the single most phenomenal, like, teacher I've ever had. Um, I had her for general chemistry one and two, and then physical chemistry. And uh, the way she cares about students is like top tier. Um, when I was at NREL, my um, advisor there, uh, Dr. Gail Bentley, um, she actually like was like the thing that made me say, like, I can do a PhD, like Gail, like tall woman, strong woman, like strong minded, I always spoke her mind. So it was like, hey, you can be like this woman who sticks out and still make it in academia. So uh, thank you, Gail. And then like now at MIT, like my advisor, uh, Dr. Kerr, Professor Chris Prather, uh, a black woman in STEM, like doing it all. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of women uh, mentors you've been able to have in the science field. So that's really, really cool and pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, how would you recommend going about like establishing and then also like, what's the word? keeping those relationships going even after you like leave where they are do you like keep up with them from time to time or what yeah. do you think so I think we live like in a day and age where it's like kind of um at least like in the academic sphere uh there are a lot of like pretty set up mentorship programs that are out there that if you would like a mentor you can sign up for a program and like be matched with someone and that's honestly how I found most of my mentors like I see a posting for um, some type of mentorship program like catered towards people who look like me so I'll reach out to them via email or phone and like that's kind of how I get matched up with people and then also it's just kind of been luck I talked about earlier how um you know, if you don't know what you want to do, just try a bunch of different things out. And so I tried different things out and believe me, in some of that stuff, I didn't have good mentors. The people that I mentioned were the people that I found and trying a bunch of things out. So. Perfect. Thank you. Well, I guess just to close out, is there any last advice you'd give to those listening, listening about literally anything? Um, whatever it is that you want to do, like, trust me, you can do it. That's all. Perfect. Short and sweet. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was like cool to chat about this. And like I said, for anyone listening who wants to do a PhD, please do it. Yeah, definitely. I second that. <laughs>